Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the CapEx podcast. I'm John Ashmore, the editor of CapEx. In the last few years, our guest this week, Tamiwa Owalade, has emerged as one of the most thoughtful, persuasive and eloquent young writers in Britain today, covering everything from Don Henley to Philip Larkin, from football to the wayward attempts to decolonise the school curriculum. Next year, Tom publishes his debut book, This Is Not America, in which he examines the many pitfalls of examining black British identity through the lens of a completely different black American experience. Tom, thank you very much for joining us. Welcome to the CapEx podcast, your debut um, with us. Just to kick off, you are a writer and a critic. Tell us a bit about you know, how you came to do what you do today. Um, what's been your journey, both professionally and also politically? Because I read something you wrote some years ago about how as a teenager, I think you used to be an anti-imperialist leftist. But uh, I think it's fair to say you are no longer an anti-imperialist leftist. Thank you very much, John. Um, so in terms of professionally, um, when I was a teenager, I wanted to be a writer. Um, in particular, I wanted to be a novelist. So write, write fiction. Um, I was also interested in writing poetry as well as a teenager. Um, then when I grew older, um, I gravitated more towards journalism. So there were certain journalists that I really admired when I was about 14, 15, uh, like the late Christopher Hitchens, um, the famous um, British-American journalist. When I um, started my undergraduate degree at university studying English, um, I thought about going into academia. Uh, and in fact, I did a master's um, in English as well. So my undergraduate degree was at Queen Mary, University of London, and my master's was at UCL. Um, but when I was at UCL doing my master's, I grew slightly disillusioned with the academic style of writing. And I sensed that um, academia felt ideologically rigid um, and really orthodox, which was really um, something that I've always tried to resist. Um, just slight, sorry to interrupt so early on, but when you say ideologically rigid, what, what do you mean? Ideologically rigid in terms of... Um, in terms of a very liberal left echo chamber, essentially. Um, I myself share much of that politics, but I felt that um, I, I felt that any sort of politics needs to be um, as open to criticism as possible. And I felt that that kind of insulated space didn't allow any sort of self-reflection amongst people in academia. 
Um, and, and that's why I felt it was extremely stifling. Yeah. Um, so I, I sort of gravitated back towards the journalism route. Um, I should say that when I was doing my undergraduate degree in university, I was also a blogger. So I used to blog about politics and culture um, when I was from 18 till about 21, 22. Um, so I, I, I sort of made a lot of contacts within the journalism blogging world because especially on Twitter, those two worlds are very much interconnected, blogging and journalism. So I made a lot of contacts um, with certain editors um, and that was basically how I got back into journalism. Um, but I should also say, um, immediately after I finished my master's, I was an English tutor for a while. So I was tutoring kids um, in secondary schools in English whilst also being a freelance writer. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to come on to that because you wrote a piece recently in Unheard about this attempt to, which we've heard quite a lot over the last few years, to quote-unquote decolonize the English literature syllabus by mm. swapping in poets like um, Seamus Heaney and mm. Philip Larkin, mm. who was the one you, you kind of concentrated on. Mm. And I wonder, if just for the sake of our listeners who might not have read that piece, I mean, what... What's your, what are you really kind of driving at here? And what do you see as the problem with those attempts? Hmm. Notwithstanding the fact that trying to decolonize by getting rid of an Irish Catholic <laughs> writer seems yes, a very strange yes, way of going yes, about of course, it. Of course, of course. Um, so the decolonizing curriculum um, movement is about trying to make the English syllabus and the English curriculum as inclusive and as, and as diverse as possible. Um, so the people that advocate for this argue that for too long, um, the English canon has been dominated by white, straight men. Um, and this doesn't reflect contemporary British society. Um, therefore, um, in order to show greater inclusion, especially to um, pupils from more ethnic minority backgrounds, um, to show greater inclusion to them, we need to include people from um, a wider pool, basically. Um, the problem with um, the decolonizing curriculum, in my perspective, um, it's not a case of diversity for me. Uh, my issue is that um, they treat literature as a subset of sociology or politics. Um, so I, I'm all in favor for a more ethnically diverse curriculum. I would love it if James Baldwin or Derek Walcott or Zadie Smith was included in the curriculum. But I would argue that they should be included in the curriculum on the basis of artistic or literary merit rather yeah. than on the basis of their identity. Because I think that including them merely on the basis of their identity is extremely patronizing. It assumes that um, kids from certain ethnic minority background can only resonate with um, certain authors because of a shared identity, uh, which is completely untrue. Um, when I was studying English um, at secondary school, I completely resonated with the poetry of Larkin with Seamus Heaney, um, with Wilfred Owen, another person that's been um, taken out of the curriculum, um, because the quality of their poetry, the quality of their art uh, has a universal appeal. It's not simply the basis of identity upon which we can judge or analyse them. Another point you make, which I thought was very interesting, is also that the way we talk about authors often is as if they oper they operate in mm. separate categories, but mm. really all authors are kind of standing on the shoulders of giants exactly. in their own way. Exactly, yeah, exactly. So for instance, somebody like James Baldwin, 
was very much inspired by the works of Shakespeare. He was also inspired by the language of the King James Bible. Um, black and ethnic minority authors uh, have relationships with um, white male authors in the English canon um, because we shouldn't see literature um, as a form of conflict. We should see literature as a form of synthesis and continuity. Um, that's, that's, that's the way the canon works, in my opinion. It's not just something uh, with which um, one particular author should be situated in direct conflict with other. We should see them in tandem. And I think that's, that, that, that's true of somebody like James Baldwin. It's also true of a Nigerian author called Chinua Achebe, who wrote a book called Things Fall Apart. And of course, the title yeah, comes the from... The center a, doesn't hold things up. Exactly. Yates, yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the Yeats yeah. poem. Yeah. And also the book itself is very much inspired by the tropes of Greek tragedy as well. Yeah. So, and it's a response to Joseph Conrad as yeah, well. Exactly, like exactly, that, you know, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Very reductive view of of African society. Yeah, exactly. Whatever. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So books, um, authors um, that, that write in English or a any other sort of European language are always in conversation with other forms of literature within the um, Western canon. And this kind of conversation you describe, the, the sort of interlinking and overlapping, mm. it's kind of antithetical to what you might say is the extreme kind of woke mm. worldview, which if it's characterized by many things, but in my view, one of the things that really um, typifies it is a very Manichaean mm. view of the world. Mm. And you described this recently, you did a review of a guy called Ibram X. Kendi. Mm. I forget the title of his book, but you can remind me, mm. and in which you describe him as one of the most binary thinkers. Exactly, exactly. Going. Extremely binary. Um, yeah, so Ibram X. Kendi recently wrote a book called... So he's, um, an, he's an American yeah, author yeah. who writes about kind of... Race. Um, critical race theory yeah, and this of kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, and Kendi wrote a book um, called How to Raise an Anti-Racist Baby um, or Anti-Racist Child. It was one of those two. Um, yeah, and, and yeah, somebody like him is extremely binary in the way they think. And I think that kind of binary Manichaean attitude is completely antithetical to literature because literature, especially great literature, is all about insisting upon the complexity of the world insisting on the complexity of being a human, the complexity of interacting with other people, the complexity of emotions and morality. That's where great it's literature draws its effect. Yeah, well, yeah just, complexity, yeah. ambiguity, yeah. Um, subtlety, nuance, all of that is lost if you just look at literature through a very rigid ideological lens. Mm. I wonder, I mean, you... We're gonna. We loved, a, you know, a shameless plug on the podcast. <laughs> You've got um, a book coming out in 2023, which is very pithily titled. Mm. This is not America. Yep. I don't know if that was a deliberate play on the childish Gambino. It was. Song. Yeah, it okay. Was. <laughs> so, there's a childish Gambino song called "This Is America," which, yeah. is, which is very good. A very yeah. entertaining video. Yeah. Anyway, and just briefly for our for our listeners, I mean, what what is the? I think you can kind of guess from the title, mm. but mm. what is the conceit of of your book and, and how it relates to sort of race relations in mm, the UK. Mm, mm. So the main argument of my book is that America is very different um, to the UK in terms of race. And in order to show genuine respect to the black and ethnic minority population of the UK, we need to analyze them on their own terms. So that means we need to analyze them 
by um, looking at them through a British perspective rather than looking at them through an American perspective. And I felt that, um, especially after the murder of George Floyd two years ago, many people in the UK um, said that we need to listen to black people, but they didn't carry this on because they listened to a very abstract, generalized um, misunderstanding of black people that relied upon an, an American perspective rather than focusing upon the distinctive qualities um, and cultures of the black British population. Yeah, and it's something you've spoken about elsewhere as well, is that when we talk about both in America and here and all mm. over the world, we mm. talk about the black British population. We're not, we're not talking it's not about one a singular thing. It's not one singular thing. Yeah. But even within a black African British of population, course, of course, of course, Somalia have yeah. no cultural sort of share no cultural lineage with people from West Africa or of course. South Africa or of wherever course. it might be. Of course, yeah, ex exactly. And you see these differences. Um, sort of manifest themselves in terms of educational outcomes, employment outcomes. Um, so for instance, black Caribbean kids in secondary school are more than twice as likely to be excluded from school as black West African kids. Uh, but many people just say black kids are twice as likely to be excluded from school as, as white kids without, um, tr without trying to specify what they mean by black kids because yeah. Um, there, there are so many differences within the black British population in terms of culture, education, family background, religion, class. All these differences are important if we want to genuinely specify and identify inequalities within our society rather than just making generalizations which are crude. Yeah. I'm just coming back to, to your book. Um, obviously, the main point is that we are dissimilar and we shouldn't mm. use the same. But do you, are there any ways in which you think that the American-style culture war, mm. is there a risk of it, you know, deteriorating, getting to that point in the UK, in your view? Um, I, I don't think to the same extent in the UK as it is in America. Um, so in America now, um, it's far more polarised than in the UK. Um, something like the majority, I think, of... Republican um, supporters think that the last election was basically rigged. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so something something like that is 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 not is not the same in, in the UK. And and in terms of um, the abortion debate, which I think is interesting, so many people in the UK um, were worried that um, abortion laws would change in the UK on the back of America. Whereas, yeah. but but the, but the situation in the UK is completely different because. The abortion law is protected by um, the Act of Parliament. Yeah, um, fifty-five which, years. Exactly, right. exactly. fifty-five years ago. Longer, yeah. yeah um, whereas in, in America, it can change depending on what on the whims of the Supreme Court. Yeah, um, um, I wrote about this. Sorry. To, I yeah, sure, to sure. In, yeah. I wrote my one of my most recent editorials on this exact topic, mm, yeah, and I don't yeah. know if, you, if you'd agree. But I I kind of attribute a lot of this to. A is kind of America filia because we see so much of it on TV and and, and on social media, as right? Well. And American social media companies. Yeah, yeah. But also, I think there's sort of weird desire to kind of for some people to kind of place themselves in the vanguard mm, of a historically mm. important moment, mm. even when it's happening mm. in a country miles away. The same people who wouldn't ever talk about abortion rights in Poland or mm. Ireland, mm. even Northern Ireland. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah, really. yeah. There's a great phrase for it, um, and I think it applies to the UK. It's called cultural cringe. <laughs> Have you heard of that phrase? 
I haven't. It's on sort of a weird version of cultural appropriation. Yeah. So, so cultural cringe, um, I think, was um, initially used by Australians and the way that Australians um, related to the UK. So many Australian people thought that their own culture and nation is backwards compared to the UK. And I think that that sort of attitude um, pertains... Um, with, with how the UK sees itself in relation to America. Uh, so I think there is definitely a case of cultural cringe. Um, and, and I also, um, just to go back to um, the abortion issue, um, in the UK, there isn't really any um, politically significant religious right movement in the UK. Um, and, yeah. and then there is in America. Um, so religion as well is, I think, some of the things. People are almost shy about it. Though. I know yeah. lots of MPs who are <laughs> yeah. very religious. You yeah, never, you yeah. Never exactly, 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 exactly. See what happened to the likes of sort of Tim Farron or someone like that. Or, 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 that, or that Tory um, MP, Danny, Danny Kruger. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, the reaction <laughs> to Danny Kruger kind of proves that point. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Like, you never hear politicians speaking like this. Yeah, so it's yeah. like, oh my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't believe you said something that isn't entirely... Yeah, it, it feels like bad etiquette, basically. Yeah, I mean, I, I am probably about as, as pro-life as they come, but mm. the idea that he shouldn't be able to voice what, mm. in my view, is a perfectly orthodox argument. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, yeah, well, you t spoke about it at the very beginning. Mm. The so-called liberal left mm. is often very illiberal mm. in the way that yeah. it approaches these kind of mm. things. I think one of the things we, when we talk about the states in the UK is, to me, it seems that what I would call the kind of race grift industry mm. is much more advanced there. Yeah, of course. I just wonder of what course. you think about someone like Ibram Kendi <laughs> or Robin D'Angelo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. White yeah. fragility. Or, or, or Leila Sad, who doesn't actually live in America, but lives right. in, in Qatar, okay. <laughs> which is I extraordinary. Mean, do you think these people actually genuinely believe this stuff they write? Mm. Or do you think it's just kind of cynical grift because you hear about them getting enormous amounts of money to do kind of yeah, diversity yeah, workshops yeah, yeah. at and Goldman Sachs, Sachs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly exactly, exactly. Um, maybe they started believing it and then they were like mm, yeah no. yeah it's, it's difficult to say because um, I always like to be quite charitable and generous when it comes to yeah, the yeah. Motiva motivations that people have for their beliefs so I would like to assume that they genuinely believe it um, I just think that um, what I find striking is just how totally alien what they say is from the actual realities of black people. Um, and I think that's one of the great ironies of it is that these beliefs claim to speak on behalf of a oppressed and marginalized community, but the people that actually espouse these beliefs tend to be the most privileged people in society. Um, and the most privileged section of society, um, Goldman Sachs, that's just incredible. Yeah, <laughs> it's not just about the sort of uh, the CRT or what the racial yeah, aspect. You yeah, see, like yeah. State Street have got a statue of a, a girl out, mm. outside the front of their corporate mm. HQ as mm. a way of, sort of denoting that they're mm. really for like feminism mm. or something. Mm. It's like, mm. you're a fucking bank. Like, yeah, come yeah, on. yeah, yeah, like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. The, the only motivation for them is money is making profit yeah. and, and they've realized that there is definitely a market for this kind of yeah, there's a racialized called, thinking um, we had a guy on the podcast about a year ago um and whose name has temporarily escaped my brain but mm. the book is called woke inc mm. and it's all about this by, about by, by that indian american also yeah right yeah 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 um, yeah, yeah. baraswami i think yeah 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 i have to look that up yeah um and uh 
Yeah, and he's just saying that basically, yeah, that Wall Street has kind of co-opted of course, this agenda. Yeah, that, that of course is it has. Pure cynicism. Yeah, as yeah, as yeah, yeah. And you and, see, and you see that with the LGBT stuff as well. The the Pride the Pride Month. Yeah. Um, there, there was this great um, tweet um, that sort of highlighted. Um, I think it was BMW. Um, so BMW um, across most of the world changed their Twitter accounts to the um the rainbow colors of pride but they did not change it in like um in arabic countries right so yeah. the twitter accounts or in, in arabic countries. Oh, yeah yeah exactly yeah. exactly so there is e even with even with them it's it's just so purely cynical was, and uh, self-interested vivek, vivek ramaswamy is mm. the author of uh, woking by the way mm. my brain just uh, temporarily mm. evaporated on me but yeah it's, it's very interesting it mm. kind of uh, i just take it all with the uh, you know, two pinches. It became a kind of meme on social yeah, media as yeah, well, the yeah, way that yeah. all these corporates are yeah. going, I support Pride because <laughs> it's like, because it's sort of fashion. Yeah. And again, I support like yeah. LGBT rights. Of course, me too. I don't support some company co-opting it. For, for cynical yeah, self-interest. Exactly. Um, in, we talked about a bit about kind of wokery. Mm. It's a very kind of, it's become a bit of a ubiquitous word. And it's it slightly it sort of means whatever the person wants it to mean. But yeah. another of your pieces I was interested in, I think it's on The New Statesman, um, was about how the word it is actually a useful term and it does mm. denote something. But mm. most people view it as a kind of right versus left thing, mm. which mm. it sometimes is. But it's not, in your view, it's more of a kind of, it's, it's just as much a kind of left on left thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's definitely true. So I think that the, um, the people that get the most um, grief, um, get, get the most um, negative reaction um, from um, the, the so-called woke people are liberal lefty people. Yeah, um, the so heretic, not exactly, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. So this is an analogy that I draw, um, a distinction between a heretic and an infidel. Um, so an infidel is somebody that's unfaithful to a belief, um, but who never had it. In the yeah, first who never place. had it in the yeah, first yeah. place. So, so say that, um, say that somebody was raised as a Muslim, um, that person never had the Christian faith in the first place. Whereas um, a heretic is somebody who has deviated from the, the mainstream yeah. belief. So say um, somebody who was a Protestant in a Catholic community, that person would be a heretic to many of the very fundamentalist Catholics in that community. Um, even though that person fundamentally shares the same belief system, fundamentally, mm -hmm. they've, they've deviated on certain doctrines um, so therefore they are considered um, essentially a, a traitor. So it's a form of treachery um, and the crime for um, treachery is more severe than the crime for somebody who's never had those beliefs in the first. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Please. Yeah, I mean, how does this... So what do you see as the battle on the left? I mean, mm. what kinds of people are we talking about here? I'm thinking a lot of... It's, it's quite striking how a lot of the so-called, I hate this phrase, but gender critical. Yeah, yeah, of um, course. They're, it's become adopted by the people themselves. So I have yeah, to yeah, say, yeah, yeah. gender critical feminists or whatever you want to call them yeah. are actually from the sort of old left. Yeah, yeah, like they are from old left. Exactly, or exactly. Like Moore, yeah, exactly. You know, they are leftists. J.K. Rowling. They are, left, they yeah. are leftists, all, all these people, but they passionately disagree on the issue of transgenderism um, and gender identity and so forth. Um, sex-based rights and, and all those stuff they disagree with the trans rights activists um, and because of this disagreement the trans rights activists have basically accused um, Bindu, Suzanne Moore, JK Rowling of being essentially fascists or fascist adjacent. Like another word that means what <laughs> exactly, mean, exactly, like, exactly. Boris Johnson's a fascist, <laughs> so, what, fascist. Um, <laughs> exactly exactly yeah, I mean, it's just, I, I mean, I think a lot of this has to do with the kind of screeching. We mm. call it an echo chamber, but it's mm. more like a kind of burning dumpster yeah. fire yeah. of yeah. Twitter. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Any old shit yeah, tw I think Twitter has been responsible for a lot of, a lot of this stuff. The, the way the sort yeah. of Twitter algorithms reward um, people with more... Um, yeah, dogmatic, more, but it's also angry basically, it's just beliefs. an attention thing, isn't it? Because yeah, we're in an attention yeah. economy, so That's you true. have to say... The, the most, most outrageous, thing, yeah. No one's thing. gonna listen. Yeah, exactly. There's no prizes for like, oh, he's so reasonable. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no prizes for like nuance or subtlety. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Another thing I was interested in one of your pieces um, was another much sort of abused term is cancel culture. There's mm. a lot of pieces mm. going, oh, it doesn't exist. It does exist. I mean, it clearly does exist. Yeah, in some yeah. Way because yeah. you've seen people, especially in the states, yeah, and academics, especially yeah. being defenestrated, losing their jobs. Of course, sometimes the most incredibly innocuous things. But you fix on a different aspect of it, which I think is actually almost as pernicious, if not worse. Yeah, yeah. and it, particularly in publishing, which yes, is as yes, well. You're yes, sort of gently of entering with your new book. Yes. Just to elaborate a bit on on this. Yeah, so I, I think the most pernicious and pervasive form of cancer culture is self censorship. Um, so there are many people, and this relates again to the um, intra-left conflict um, that, that I think is um, affecting industries like publishing um, and also academia, well, yeah, yeah. journalism, some aspects of the media. Um, in publishing, many people um, within the publishing industry um, are on the liberal left, but they are critical of the ways in which publishing has focused um, on identity in a very rigid and inflexible way. Um, but they are frightened to express these views because they are basically um, scared of losing their jobs, essentially. They are scared of um, defending J.K. Rowling, the way Rowling has been badly mistreated um, and badly tarred and demonized. 
Um, they are scared of saying that um, authors like Kathleen Stock um, should have their books. Okay, um, Clanchy. Yeah, okay, Clanchy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. that they that somebody like Kate Clanchy, they're scared of saying something like Kate Clanchy has been badly demonized on yeah. social media um, and badly treated. Um, and and I think, yeah, it's it's definitely true that there are many people in publishing. Um, that are progressive, liberal, lefty, but nevertheless think that the way the industry is going is too ideologically rigid. Yeah. But but they're scared of sharing it because they don't want to be sort of caught up in the social media shitstorm. If I right. can use that phrase can, on this podcast, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> we're, not, we're not that. Family <laughs> you're, 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 yeah, not, you're not the BBC. No. <laughs> um, they're they're scared of being involved yeah, in that. Yeah, because I think a lot of people assume that there just is, especially particularly with the BBC. Actually, they assume <laughs> that everyone actually thinks the same way. Whereas actually, yeah, what you're yeah, saying there is, is diversity. Yeah, but there is diversity. Scared. Scared. Yeah, and that is cancel culture. That is essentially cancel culture because they are self-canceling essentially. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's something, I mean, even writing for a site like Capex, I find myself thinking when I'm writing, like, mm, might that get, like, yeah, seized get, upon get by someone trouble. or something. Yeah, yeah. Not even get me in trouble, but just end up with a kind of, like you say, a shitstorm on yeah, Twitter yeah, or yeah, a pile-on yeah, yeah, or something yeah. like that. So I find, maybe not self-censorship, but just kind of taking a sort of added degree of care, but Caution. not necessarily in a good way. And, like, and that's completely yeah. bad for, like, civil society because any vigorous function in civil society relies on people being as open um, mm. with their views as possible. That's how we sort of uh, make progress on social um, norms. That's how we um, show that we are genuinely committed to a pluralistic society is if people can be as open as possible with what they actually believe rather than pretending to believe something that they don't, that they don't believe or self-censoring what they believe yeah i mean i think that terms are sort of totalitarian are banded around a bit mm. too mm. too easily but the kind of habit of thought have mm. something in common yeah with that the, the, yeah, the desire yeah. for conformity and yeah. safety yeah ideological is. conformity definitely yeah i mean so just to slightly pivot so we're, we're sure. in the middle of uh obviously the race for prime minister we're mm. down to two now um, race is that is that a play in words race of not intentionally, <laughs> no. i think I, it was on the um on the sun's hustings yesterday before it got sort of unceremoniously stopped it was sort of they badged it as the race for number 10 it's very dramatic <laughs> yeah, and you yeah, get it, yeah it's like just not this kind of high octane american style yeah, campaign yeah, yeah but do you when you look at it i mean you wrote a column recently you can tell i've read your entire life's work about having a slightly sort of doomsterish view of the mm. future of the economy for, mm. for younger people. Do you have yeah. much optimism that, you know, things will change very much for people in their sort of 20s and 30s facing a dysfunctional housing market, got low birth rates, yeah, yeah, all yeah, these yeah, different yeah, overlapping yeah. problems? Stagnation. So stagnation yeah. in terms of the economy, stagnation in terms of demographics, stagnation in terms of culture as well. Mm. Um, so if you go to the cinema... If you listen to music, and, yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's just Marvel films now. And yeah. if, you, if you listen to music, it's now dominated by, what, Kate Bush, The Beatles, uh, you know, The Rolling Stones. Weird, yeah, like, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. So like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, it's very retro. Now, and, and, and I think that that speaks to this very general um, sort of atmosphere 
uh, of stagnation. And speaking of atmosphere, there's also the climate crisis as well. So it's it's, 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 it's that, yeah, so exactly, it's exactly. Strange, it's a strange <laughs> exactly. contest so far. Yeah, exactly. It's it's almost as if that uh, people are. Uh, they don't want to mention because it it's just you, you can't really sort of mention it without causing alarm because right. <laughs> any sort of honest appraisal of it necessarily involves using slightly alarmist language because yeah. that's the reality of it yeah, now yeah. <laughs> it's, so it's also because i think a lot of even if you agree with them some of the some of the environmental activists yeah are, 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 are what you call watermelons so th- yeah, yeah socialists in kind of green of work. course of course and, uh, and and yeah and they have sort of behaved in, in a terrible, terribly childish way, mm. uh, many of them, Extinction Rebellion and so forth. Nevertheless, it, it is a very severe issue. If we're looking ahead, we're talking about the kind of dimensions of that. Um, actually, I'll just start that bit again. So I think it's going to be nine minutes. Um, another aspect of the leadership campaign that a lot of people, a lot of kind of Guardian columnists have focused on mm. is whether or not it's positive that so many of the candidates were from... I hate this acronym, B-A-M-E, uh, <laughs> which basically means non-white, yes, essentially. Yes, yes. I mean, as a non-white Briton, does it matter that much to you whether or not the, the PM or the contestants are from non-white backgrounds or, or not? Per- personally, it doesn't really matter that much to me. But I think the really striking thing is that um, for a long while now, um, certain elements of the liberal left um, have been emphasising the importance of diversity um, in elite institutions. Um, and I think that oh, one of the most obviously elite institutions of the country is the cabinet. And, and it and is, the yeah, 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 the conservative part. And it is, um, um, and, and that's, that's why I sort of find the um, response strange because their argument up until now has been that identity for its own sake is a good thing, irrespective of what, the person, um, the person from an ethnic minority background believes. Um, but when um, a person from an ethnic minority background believes something that goes against many of the liberal left um, orthodoxies, identity for its own sake doesn't really matter anymore. Oh, we should just focus on what they believe. So it, it's, it's, it's a weird double standard that's been adopted when it comes to identity and also politics, I think. It also seems to me underpinned by a sense of almost betrayal. Exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. It goes back to that later, heretic like, thing yeah, again. Yeah. Yeah. Which is itself very reductive, isn't mm. it? Because it suggests, and we've had columns on the on the site about this. Mm. So actually, for a lot of people from quote unquote BME communities, their value system or preferences are actually much closer to the tools. Yeah. 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 They're aspirational, especially when you look at, for instance. Um, Indian people from oh, East African background. So that's very like, heavily represented. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, so Rishi Sunak, um, Priti Patel as well. Suella Braverman. Exactly, well. exactly. Yeah, so, so those those sorts of communities. Um, Sharma, yeah, exactly. Really yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so those, those communities um, tend to come from very commercially orientated um, sort of social backgrounds yeah it's the um, clerical class of the british empire right? exactly 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 yeah that's that's why they, that's why they moved from india to east africa is for those sort of clerical commercial professions um, and those communities tend to be very much aspirationally minded um, and aspiration is one of the key 
values and key principles of the Conservative Party. So it makes complete sense why that why they would gravitate to the Conservative Party. Yeah. What do you think for um, because your family's um, Nigerian? Yeah. Do you think yeah. it would have been had it been Kemi Badenoch? Mm, mm. Do you think British Nigerians would have been like cock a hoop, or mm. would have just been like? Uh, I think they it, tend to support Labour, right? Yeah, yeah, they do. Right. They do. Yeah. I, th- I think it would have been a mixed response. So I, I think some British Nigerians would have been pleased that that somebody from their background is now the prime minister of yeah. the country. Somebody who actually grew up in Nigeria. <laughs> yeah, exactly, as well, exactly, like, exactly. Which yeah. is striking. She's um, more like Nigerian British than British Nigerian. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, so she was born in the UK, but she grew up basically in Nigeria up until yeah. she was 16. Um, she she was in America for a short while, but mostly right. Nigeria yeah. up until she was 16. Um, and, and so yeah, there, there is, and 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 that would have made it um, even more striking if she became prime minister because of the nature of where she grew up. Um, so I, I think there would have been a diversity of views amongst um, British Nigerians, British West Africans, um, if she had won. Um, and I think that that's how it should be. I, I don't think there is a singular um, British Nigerian perspective on yeah, politics. Absolutely. Yeah. As we've been trying to emphasize throughout the podcast, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a country yeah. of, what, 140 odd million people yeah, 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 as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, have you, we talked about the kind of, uh, this awful phrase that Sadiq Khan used it once, mm. actually, which is that he talked about the kind of Uncle Tom's mm. and things like this. Mm. I just wonder, have you ever, because you write from what might be considered a kind of unorthodox perspective at yeah, times, have yeah, you ever yeah. had any kind of hostile reactions from sort of the wokies? Uh, not really, not, not really, not really, which, which, is, which is something that surprised me. Maybe it's because of the nature of the way I write. So I, I try not to write in a sort of, overt, yeah, 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 of yeah. overtly personal and um, sort of aggressive way. Um, I, I try to be as sort of generous to the other side as possible while still being critical of, of their perspectives. Um, so it's, it's m- many of the quote-unquote woke people, um, the social justice warriors, they've either largely ignored my writing. Um, some have been critical, but not critical in an abusive way. Yeah. Uh, and some have actually been, been quite sympathetic to my point of view. Some have said, oh, that's interesting because... What I say is, uh, we need more nuance, more sophistication in in what when when we think about things like race, and 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 some of them have been um, sympathetic to that point of view. And to finish with a kind of very broad question, and you note know in one of your recent pieces that the largest category or in the future in the UK will be mixed race, which yeah. means all yeah. the fast the fastest growing ethnic fastest minority. Growing. Yeah, but group. there'll be a point, I forget which, where 30% of the British population yes, will be yes. some kind of mixed race. Yes. Obviously, a lot of that will be Asian white, Asian yeah. black, black, yeah. Brit, uh, yeah, black and yeah, white, yeah. you know, all sorts of different combinations. I, I wonder what you think that kind of implies for the nation of, sorry, the, the nature of, of race relations in the mm. UK. And do you think that the UK is is becoming progressively more kind of harmonious as a society or not? Do you see pushback in... I, I, th- I think it is becoming, yeah, definitely much more um, harmonious. So one of the striking things is that after the Brexit referendum, um, immigration from non-European countries has actually gone up in the UK. Yeah, and um, from Nigeria especially. Yeah, yeah exactly, in exactly, India, yeah. exactly. Whilst at the same time, um, attitudes to immigration have become more positive. So I, I, I find that an extremely striking finding. Um, so as, yeah, because the impression um, 
was that after Brexit, uh, we'll see um, a backlash against the ethnic minority people of this country. The reverse has actually happened if you look at the um, polls. Um, so I, I think Britain is, uh, of course, Britain, there is still racism, um, discrimination yeah. in the UK, um, but amongst other countries in Europe, Britain is definitely um, the most tolerant. Um, and I think that um, the term mixed race itself is a bit reductive and a bit simplistic because it doesn't re because I think it's one of those terms when you need to be more specific about what you mean by it. Because um, when we think of mixed race, a lot of us tend to think of black and white. So somebody who's got like a white parent and a black parent. Yeah. But that could be all <laughs> so, so many. Even exactly, that, I mean, exactly. So there was a book you reviewed by a guy who was, I think he was, he'd grown up in Nigeria, but his mum was Polish. Yeah, Remy Adekoya. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very yeah. interesting. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, uh, yeah, but no, sorry, as you were saying, it, it yeah, yeah, it, so yeah, many different yeah, things. Yeah, it could, be, it could be white British and Asian. It could be black and Asian. Uh, it, it could be so many different varieties of cultures and nationalities and backgrounds that I think even with a term like mixed race we need to be more skeptical about the utility of the term just like we need to be skeptical about the utility of the term BAME or person of color because so, so many yeah that's the bizarre. worst that's the it's, worst one because um, the beam is for is for black anyway right is it black indigenous people of color yeah yeah right. so yeah yeah so and, and that's a completely um meaningless term when it's when it when it um when you're thinking about the uk so it makes some sense yeah, when you're thinking about will rise <laughs> so, so, so so bipoc which means black indigenous people of color makes some sense in an american context yeah. but in the uk um indigenous carries some far right connotations right some progressive ones although interestingly i i discovered recently the celts used to live in places such as serbia and the czech really? republic so okay, even that's then, interesting. i think the idea of indigenous in the uk yeah, yeah, is, a, it's, yeah. is a very moot point yeah exactly um, Tom, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been an absolutely fascinating conversation. We don't get to talk about literature mm. all that much, so maybe we should do more uh, more on that kind of thing in the future. Definitely. Um, thank you all at home as ever for listening to us, and do tune in for our next sit-down uh, topic, which will be picking up on one of the themes we discussed today, which is the boosters, those who are optimistic about the UK's future, and the doomsters. So we're going to have a, a head-to-head debate on that between Sam Bowman who's been on the podcast a few times and Tim Pitt of uh, Flint Global who used to be a special advisor so that should be a really really interesting episode so do tune in for that in a couple of weeks time Hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter Did you know Cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain. I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.